So I'm going to ask you guys, would you bow your heads and pray with me? I just want to just release this word the Lord dropped in my spirit for you all. So just thank you, Lord. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. You are worthy and you are good. You are worthy and you are good, Lord. We thank you that you don't give up on your people. We thank you, Lord God, that your promises are yes and amen. We thank you, Lord, that when we pray anything according to your word, it will be done. God, we thank you for breakthrough. God, individually, we thank you for breakthrough. Collectively, we thank you for breakthrough. As a community, we thank you for breakthrough. God, we thank you, Lord God, that you love people more than we do. And God, we love people, but God, you love people more than we do. God, you don't give up on people. Your word is true. It will accomplish what it sets out to do. God, today I pray that you would increase our faith. God, anything that would plug our ears to, to your understanding. God, anything that would plug our ears to hearing your voice today. God, unplug it in Jesus' name. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying today in the mighty name of of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all. Okay, we got to be happy today because I don't want to preach to a bunch of uh, a grumpy Christians, okay? So we're going to be a little bit more happy because we are in the house of the Lord. And the Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. That's the joy version. It probably says that a little bit more elegant in, in another version. But hey, God is good. We've been on this sermon series called The Oldest Trick in the Book. And I thought for sure when we got to July, we we're going to go on to something different, right? But the Lord's like, oh, no, 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 we're not done. And, and when the Lord laid this on our heart, I, I, I don't even remember who came up with the sermon series, if it was Becca or Josh or myself. I don't even remember who, who heard from the Lord. But we, we just can't get off of it. And the Lord gave me a foundational scripture that, that um, in, in, the, in the Bible where it talks about, let us not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. Like, the enemy is working overtime to deceive a generation, to deceive uh, 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 the, the church, to deceive our country. And we need to be aware of the enemy's scheme so that we can stand against him. The Bible says that we would not be outwitted by the enemy. And so let's, today I feel like we, we've been hitting some hard topics, right? Like some, like pride I mean, how many of you guys love that one that Josh, Josh preached on? I'm like, I thought I was kind of humble, and they taught that message. No, I was proud to be humble. You know what I'm saying? Like, that ain't right. That ain't right. <laughs> I was like, Lord, help me out here. Help me out. I thought I had this one down. You know, that's not my issue. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's showing me some things, right? We've talked about selfishness. I mean, we've talked about so many hard things issues in the last couple months and and my pastor who trained us up in ministry always used to say don't share the sheep every week meaning you got to give a, a nice message every once in a while too right you can't just you can't just they, you can't share them every week right and so I'm like Lord I just feel like we just keep hitting all these hard things and sometimes it gets discouraging right and the Lord told me that to, he told me this week he said I'm not afraid of the hard stuff I I'm not intimidated by your mess. And he gave me a word, and then he, he gave me an illustration, which I'm going to get to as I get going. But he showed me that it's okay to bring our mess to church. Right? It's, there's, there's, a, there's a deception. I remember when, when we uh, first planted um, uh, Vision over at, at South and Broadway in Toledo, 
I can't remember who said it. This is a good thing with age. It's really good to keep confidential <laughs> because I, I don't remember everything. But somebody came, <laughs> you know, someone came into the church, and they was like, oh, and they were looking around. Like, I'm like, what's that? They're like, I'm waiting for the, for the walls to come, come down on me. And I was like, what? And they're like, I thought the walls would come down on me if I ever stepped foot in church. I said, oh, well, you're in the right place. These walls ain't coming down, okay? That, that building's even been hit by lightning. We're good. The Masons built that building. We sanctified it, got rid of all the weird stuff. But, you know, we're, we're good. You're good. And, and I just thought, man, isn't that a lie, though? We might not all be all that dramatic. I am, but some of us aren't, right? We might all not be that dramatic. But we sometimes believe that lie that, that I got to work for my salvation, that that. I'm not good enough and that my mess is too much for the Lord or I know better and so I shouldn't. It's a common misunderstanding that one must have everything figured out before approaching God. Right? It's, it's even some individuals believe they can't even attend church until their life is perfect. Well, I'm going to come, but I got to get this together first. <laughs> and our messiness, our blunders, our flaws, friends, they don't intimidate God. The title of this message today is Embracing Grace in the Midst of Our Messiness. Come on. Embracing grace in the midst of our messiness. Friends, we need a revelation of grace. Because if you could have done it on your own, Jesus wouldn't have had to died on the cross. The foundational scripture of, of this message today is right here. Write it down. Romans 5, 8. It, it captures this essence. It says, but God, but who? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love, his acceptance is not contingent on how good you are, how hard you work, how perfect you are, <laughs> how much you don't mess up this week. Oh, I could feel God more because I was a little bit of a better girl this week. It's not contingent on if you had an attitude when you was driving to church or not. It's not contingent on if you experience anxiety this week. It's not contingent on if you messed up looking at something you shouldn't have been looking on and now God doesn't love you and you're just, it's, it's, it's over with. No, your good works is because you love him and it's a gift back to God. But friends, he loves you the same even when you mess up. Even when you're in the middle of your mess, amen. And today I felt like the Lord gave me four biblical narratives that just, demonstrates his grace in the middle of our mess. You want to go into those? Yeah. Come on, let's dig in. Number one, well, Adam and Eve. <laughs> it goes all the way back, friends. Genesis chapter 3. And there's so much meat that I have here that I'm going to give you guys the Bible passages so that you guys can go back and look, and I'm going to kind of uh, give you uh, like a recap of some of the things I'm going to say, okay? So make sure you go back and read Genesis chapter 3. But this is the thing with Adam and Eve and this biblical narrative here. There's this common misconception that when you commit sin, you should avoid God or hide from him. Until you figure out the situation on your own, right? 
this deception of, of trying to cleanse yourself, clean yourself up, make, you know, make yourself perfect, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Bible. This, this is uh, why we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, then the, after they sinned, then the eyes of both of them were open, and right after their eyes were open, they realized they were naked. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves. Who is our covering? But oftentimes when we mess up and we sin, our first instinct is to do what? First to hide. And then our second instinct is to cover it up, right? That's why kids lie. They're trying to cover up. They don't want to get in trouble, right? They, they don't want to face the consequences or they're too afraid or whatever it is. Those are, those are our instincts. And, friends, we have to realize that God does not want us, he, he wants us to be vulnerable with him. He doesn't want us to hide our vulnerability. He doesn't want us to hide our vulnerability. The cool thing that we see in this passage is, is not only did Adam and Eve try to make clothes for themselves, which they weren't fitting for them, but God himself came down in the midst of their mess. When he knew that they would sin, in the midst of their mess, and he slaughtered the first sacrifice and made clothes for Adam and Eve. That, was, that, that first act by God, it symbolized that eventually they would go into a state where they would have to have animal sacrifices to atone for their sin, but even that wouldn't be good enough that there would have to be a perfect offering, a perfect blood that would be shed, and that cannot be found in animal, and that cannot be found in man. It can only be found in God himself. So Jesus, though being in the very nature of God, humbled himself and became, became a man and made himself obedient to the point of dying on the cross, shedding his blood, being naked and unashamed for us. See, Adam and Eve, they were naked and they were full of shame. But Jesus got on that cross and he was naked and unashamed. He was the perfect sacrifice. The Bible says, as Pastor Josh mentioned, that he was the lamb who was slain from the foundations of the earth. He's not plan B. From the very beginning, God knew that Jesus would have to come, that the only way he would have relationship with humans is that Jesus would have to make a way. And we see this. But see, our nature is still to hide and to cover and to try to fix it ourselves. That's what the fig leaves represent. They represent hiding and covering and trying to do all the good works on our own, trying to make it work out, trying to pay penance, and, and it's not good enough because nothing we can do is good enough. <laughs> nothing. No matter if you're the most holy person in here and you haven't sinned for a whole month. It's a long time. You're probably in a cave by yourself if that's the case. You definitely don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> But even then, friends, your best effort is still not good enough. So we're so thankful that God provided the garments, that God made a way through Jesus. And according to the Bible, Adam and Eve, they consumed this forbidden fruit, 
Y'all know my theory, chocolate tree. (laughs) Lean into their discomfort and their insecurity, their separation, their nakedness. They attempted to hide their shame by using fig leaves, which illustrates humankind's tendency to depend on their own solutions to deal with the effects of sin. (laughs) But however, Jesus died on the cross without clothing to clothe us. Come on. Without clothing to clothe us. Friends, this, this idea that we have to get it all together It goes back all the way to the garden. But Jesus came, and now I'm going to go all the way to the new covenant. We're going to share three more biblical narratives that we can understand the misconception that this idea that we have to fix it on our own, that God's afraid of our messiness, that we can't be real in church, that we got to be perfect. And we're going to dismantle it one lie at a time, amen? The prodigal son, you've heard of this one right? Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32, go back and read it. But there's a, in, in this parable that, that Jesus himself told, there's so many depths of wisdom in it. I mean, I could preach a three-part message just in this, in this series. There's so many depths of, of wisdom here, but I want to focus here on this misconception that we see, this common misconception that when we, that we must be perfect to approach God. See, when, when the prodigal son, he took his money before it was time. We all like stuff in our timing and not God's timing, right? He took his money. He took his inheritance before it was God's timing. We want it right now. We want it. We want to do what we want to do with it. And the Bible says he's, he spent it on reckless living, like reckless. Come on. <laughs> if you've ever raised, a, uh, you know, kids to adulthood, there, there's this thing called our prefrontal cortex, and, it, and it's part of our brain. And it's the part of our brain that has the cause and effect part. You know, like the part that makes you realize you're not invincible. That part's not fully developed. Psychology, it, it goes on to say it, 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 there's a debate between 25 and 28. I've always heard 25. Now they're saying 28. And I said that is because Americans have this thing with their children that we are continuing to have this perpetual state of adolescence. And, and we don't raise our children to autonomy anymore. And God help us because it's hard because culture, the world, and everything's against them. But friends, church, we got to understand that during that season, we need to be praying and praying and praying because they're legally an adult at what time? 18. But their brain's not adult till 28. And I'm not saying they should be a, a, a minor to 28. Don't get me wrong. But we need to start teaching them cause and effect right? Consequences to actions. However, we have to realize that sometimes people are like the prodigal son, and even if they're raised right, they go out there and they want to do their reckless living, especially in that season of life. And well, this is what happened with the prodigal son, and he actually got down. The Bible says that he was in such desperation after he spent all his money. He had no, nothing to eat, that he saw some pigs, okay? In Jewish culture, pigs were unclean Animals, thank God Peter had the vision, I can eat bacon. But back then, there was no bacon, okay? (laughs) Okay. And so he's down with the dirtiest, messiest of animals. And he's not just just next to him. I mean, he is like in it with them, with the pigs, in the pig pen, eating, getting ready to eat the pig food. Pig food. That's how messy this guy got. And while he was down there, Eating scraps that are given to pigs. He, th- he had the idea, if I go back to my father, 
I can go back and be his servant because even his servants eat better than pig scraps. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to tell him, make me your servant. I don't deserve to be your son. <laughs> but the Bible says that the father, he was sitting on, I picture a big country porch. He was sitting on that porch. He had his sweet tea. Come on, we're going down south, y'all. Some of you got some southern roots. He's sitting on that porch with his sweet tea, and he sees, who's that coming up? the driveway and he gets excited (laughs) he's like oh that's my son and he doesn't say you got to start all the way over you got to earn your way to be my son matter of fact here go down to the lowest of low this is what the son thought but not the father the father saw him a long way off he got off his porch he ran and he met him the bible says he clothed him right that, 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 that theme again of being clothed. He put a ring on him. He, he made a feast for him. He said, my son is back. Rejoice. And this is what Jesus said, that when one lost sinner, one backslidden person, maybe they grew up in church, but they have backslid. Maybe they've been doing right, but they're in that stage of life that they think they know better, and so they've experienced some things, and maybe they've went astray. And the Bible says that when they come back, The angels in heaven rejoice. But we have this this misconception that we have to be perfect, or if we're not perfect, because we all know we're not, we better earn it. Let's start from the bottom. Let's not receive his grace. We got to earn it. And if it was about us earning it, then we would not appreciate the free gift of grace that Jesus gives to us. Hmm. If you've backslidden, friend, if you've gone astray, you're not alone. God loves you, and he desires restoration. This next biblical example that I'm going to use is Peter's denial and restoration. You can read the full account, Matthew 26, 69 through 75, or John 21, 15 through 19. A few years ago um, on Easter, I preached a message you guys probably don't remember it. I barely do, but it was, I thought it was a good one. Um, <laughs> called the roast, the roaster. See, I can't even say it. The rooster, the roaster's from the south side of the kingdom. <laughs> the roaster, the rooster's crow. <laughs> oh, I need to save that one for spill the beans. That was funny. Okay. <laughs> Listen, though. I, the, the message there that I talked about was that, you know, uh, Jesus told Peter, like, you're going to de- deny me. And Peter's like, oh, no, man, I'm going, I'm going all the way with you. I mean, Peter, Peter was kind of thug, too, like, in a good way and in a bad way. But, like, the, the, the soldiers came up to arrest Jesus in the garden, right? The other disciples were like, oh, oh, you know, they're kind of hitting back. And Peter comes up with a knife, was like, slice, slice off, like, a servant's ear. He was ready to fight. He thought he was doing a good thing. Jesus looks at him and was like, bro. <laughs> Kind my teenagers say to me, you know, my mom. And, and picks up the ear off the ground and sticks it back on. Like, Peter was a little bit crazy in a good way, in some ways. But he messed up. Because he, after even getting the revelation, the first disciples don't really have the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one who is, who was, and is to come, that he's the one who's going to make all things right. He had in his mind 
that he was going to make things, all things right the way he wanted him to make all things right. Like kick out the Roman oppressors and build a new kingdom here on earth. When Jesus was doing something a lot more heavenly than that, a lot more eternal than that. And so here's, here's Peter saying, I would never deny you. Not me. Matter of fact, the Bible says all the disciples. We get on Peter, but the Bible says all the disciples said, I would never deny you. But Peter, you know, he was probably the loudest about it. You already know. He was the loudest. He's like, I would never deny you. <laughs> and Jesus looks at him and says, tonight, before the roaster or the rooster crows, the third time, you're going to deny me three times. Three times, not just once, but three times. And, of course, that's what happened. And, and one, of the, one of the parts of the narrative here that you find can't remember if it's in Matthew or John, but it, it says after the rooster crowed the third time, and, and Peter denied him a third, the, the, the last time there, that third time, that Jesus looked directly at him. And friends, I want to say to you that we sometimes think that when we sin, that God doesn't see us. That when we mess up, that he doesn't see us. And there, there is a truth in that. There is a separation that happens. Sin separates us from the presence of God. But, friends, nothing can separate us from his love. His eyes are still gazing at you even when you mess up, even when you slip the third time that day, even when you have an attitude that you know you shouldn't have again and again and again. And what I love about this story about Peter, friends, is it dismantles this common misconception that leaders don't make mistakes. <laughs> you know, there is a common misconception that leaders don't make mistakes. That's why when pastors fall or big evangelists, when they fall, you know, I told you guys uh, the last time I preached on temptation and the, the probably the most famous, one of the most famous Christian sayings of our time is that sin will take you farther than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And that's from uh, uh, Rabbi Zachariah, is that his name? Yep, that guy. And he lived that saying because before he died, uh, or, or right as he died, things start coming out of his own sin, right? And, and a lot of people felt like such a, uh, such a heartache that this man fell as hard as he did, and, and, and that's not to belittle anyone who felt, who, who felt that way. I have felt that way, not usually with famous people, but with people I know personally who I looked up to who, who sinned and fell away. It's heartbreaking, but I have to remember that they're not my Savior. They're not Jesus. They're not perfect. And then we have this expectation for ourselves. Oh, who grew up in church? Go ahead. Oh, I grew up in church, therefore I'm never allowed to sin because I knew about Jesus from the time I could talk. And we have this expectation of ourselves because we grew up in church, because we had Christian parents that we shouldn't ever mess up. And not only do we have that expectation of ourselves, we put that expectation on our children here. Oh, we can go street witnessing and have all the grace and all the mercy for someone who never heard the name of Jesus. But for our babies who've heard the name of Jesus their whole life, shame on them. That's how we act. We might not think we act like that, but we do. And our actions show it. And that's why sometimes when people backslide, they have a hard time coming home. 
we've got to show them the same grace and mercy. The Bible says, remember, remember how much you have fallen, how much you have sinned. Be careful if you think you stand, lest you fall. The Bible says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. So I have to remind myself how much Jesus forgives me. And from that place, I can love others. Come on, somebody. We need to dismantle that lie that if you're a leader or if you're a Christian, like he can, his grace is good enough for the, for the sinner, but not good enough for the Christian. Listen, he died on the cross and he died for my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. Come on, somebody. I have been saved. I am being saved. And one day I'm going to stand before him and I will stand to the end and I will be saved. Come on, this is good theology, friends. But we have it, we have it twisted. Now is grace an excuse to keep on sinning? Oh, well, he's gonna forgive me, so I'm gonna go sin today because you know I feel like it. No. Paul, Paul dismantles that lie. But it's also grace is empowering. The Bible says that grace not only saves us, but it gives us the power to say no to ungodliness. If you're trying to do it on your own because you think, oh, I just I have to do it on my own because I'm a leader, because I know better. You're going to fail because you're not strong enough. Peter walked with Jesus. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Come on, somebody. He's the only disciple that walked on water. He was the first disciple to get the revelation that he is the Messiah, and he still sinned. Because Peter is not the Messiah. But he knows the Messiah And I believe that sometimes God allows us to fail and to fall so that we can be walk in humility and know that we need him. But by the grace of God, come on, somebody. Grace is not only for the new believers, even for the seasoned saints. Stop beating yourself up if you continue to make mistakes and receive God's forgiveness and empowerment like Peter did. Last one here. We're going to move on. The woman caught in adultery, John 8, 1 through 11. You can go ahead and look that up. Ooh, I felt like this was a, the best one to close with here. See, there's this common misconception. It lies in, in the failure to grasp the, transform, uh, the transformative power of God. See, just even last week, we believed for people to be healed, Christians. You come up and you can receive your healing. But we, we sometimes don't really grab a, grab a hold of this transformation that only happens in Christ. That God can transform not just the worst of the worst sinners, but the one who has a little bit of a habit or a hang up that they can't get free on on their own. The one who, who constantly is dealing with depression or, or anxiety or, or maybe they, fall, they find themselves falling into to flattery or gossip or lying. And, you're, and you think, oh, that's, that's okay. Those are little Christian sins that we can get away with. God can even transform you from that. <laughs> he can. If he can set the drug dealer free, he can help you with your issues too. And so here's, a, a, you know, one that, that we would say is a big sin. Right? The woman, she was caught in the midst of adultery. Where was that man at? But she was caught in the midst of adultery. 
And the, the Pharisees, oh, they was like, oh, we about to get Jesus. He's about to have to stone somebody because the law says that if you're caught in the midst of adultery, you got to stone them to death. And so they, they, was, they brought that woman, poor thing, to see they wanted to trap Jesus somehow. So they threw her at Jesus' feet. And Jesus, you know what he did? <laughs> got down in the dirt because he's not afraid of our mess. He's not afraid of our mistakes. He's not afraid of our sin. And he got down in the dirt with the woman. She was on the ground. The rest of them were standing over her. Look at her, sinner, adultery. Hoochie mama. (laughs) (laughs) She deserves to die. Jesus start writing. There's so many theories on what he wrote. So many theories. Some some theologians believe he started writing the sins of the people that were there. Oh yeah, you just lied this morning. Some people believe he was writing their mistresses <laughs> on the ground. Cause you know what I have found in ministry. Sometimes the harshest we are to other people, it's called projection. <laughs> We want to be mad at someone who, who catches an attitude too quick and we see it all in them. That's because we're afraid to see it in us, right? <laughs> you know, if you have more than one child, the one that you usually get along with the least in certain things is the one that's most like you. I call that a thorn in the flesh, baby. God put that child in your life <laughs> to keep you humble. <laughs> to keep you humble. Come on, come on. Can I get some parents to say amen? (laughs) I told my one child who was complaining about their dad, I said, you're just like him. They were like, no, I'm not. I'm like, out of all of them, you're the most like him. (laughs) And then they came back to me, you know, I've been thinking about how you said that. Uh. <laughs> yes. Come on. So here's Jesus in the dirt, in the mud, in the in the in the mess with the woman, writing whatever he wrote. Sometimes the Bible's ambiguous on purpose. It's to get us thinking. I don't know. I don't care what scholar thinks that they found a hidden gem. The Bible actually doesn't say it, so we don't really know. <laughs> but he wrote something that made the the oldest. A little bit more wisdom, turn around first. So the oldest among them, the elders, they turn around first. So, oh, man. <laughs> and then one by one, they left. And the Bible says, Jesus said, who is left to condemn you? Nobody. Because Jesus, he, did, he doesn't condemn. Our sin condemns us. But his blood covers our sin if we would just repent. And then he said this. This is the missing piece. He says to the woman, you're forgiven. Now go and sin no more. <sighs> oh, Lord, Holy Ghost chills. Come on. Go and sin no more. And so this week, I was thinking about what to do and, I, <laughs> and, and how to really show this to you. I called my boy Chris. I was like, I'm not bugging Jeremy at camp. 
I said, Chris, I needed to get the trash bag. I said, I want to show people an illustration. Anxiety is a mess. Jesus isn't afraid of it. Stealing, well, the reason Josh got fired from his first job, Jesus isn't afraid of it. <laughs> I let y'all in on something that I didn't know for 10 years. Listen, I, if this one said it, I'm going to tell you why I got fired from my, well, that's not the reason I got fired from my first job. Is it in here? It probably is. If it's not, it's cussing. I cussed my manager out. They called more security on me, y'all. Yeah, I did. Addiction. Porn. Janae, help me out, sweetie. Can you hold this? I meant to ask for a wireless mic, but I forgot. Thank you. Critical. Ooh, that's a church sin right there. Come on. Jealousy. Come on. Not afraid of our mess, friends. Rage, yep. Shame, come on. He died for it. Lust, well. You know, they say now that women are cheating as much as men on their spouses. Well, more stealing, come on. Well, that, you know, even lying on your taxes, greed, oh, well, we got that. Come on, that's. Judgment, come on. He, he died for all these things. Jealousy, he died for all these things. Every, every anger, every sin that you can think of, he died for. Undeserving, depression, all of it. Anxiety, all of it. He died for guilt. He died for all of it. Gossip, oh, Lord. Guess who got voted biggest gossip in high school? God has set me free. Hallelujah. Slander, come on. Uh-uh, I just want to say nice things about people. Speak life. Come on. All of it. All of it. Every single thing, friends. He died for it. And he is not afraid to meet you in the middle of your sin. Would you stand up with me, friends? Oh, Jesus. Tennille, can you stand over here? Andrew, can you stand over there? Jesus. I feel like today we need to make a declaration. <laughs> we need to make a declaration. We're not hiding our sins in church anymore. We're no longer putting on our mask. We don't think we're better than anyone else. We know our issues. We know our mess. And we're not going to believe the lie that our mess is too messy for Jesus. That our mess is too messy for God. That we're the one who finally did it, who sinned so much that Jesus' blood is not good enough. No, that's a lie from the devil. He wants to set you free from condemnation. He wants to set you free from shame. He wants to set you free. If you're in this place today and you know that, that you've been holding on to something, 
You've been holding on to something, trying to figure it out on your own. Would you do me a favor? Come on up here. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, do it all slow. Just come on up here. Just stand. Nobody even has to pray for you unless you want them to. Just come up here and stand in the middle of the mess and say, you know what? I'm a mess, but God wants to turn my mess into a message. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm coming up here. I'm standing. I'm declaring. I'm no longer afraid. I'm no longer ashamed because Jesus did it for me. Come on. Jesus did it for me. We, we, want, we, want to, we want to pray with you, friends. Come on down. And if you don't want prayer, you can, you can just come sit in the front row and just get before the Lord. We don't have to lay hands on you. Whatever you want, God can do it himself. But if you do want someone to join you in praying, I'm going to ask you, come on up here. Because he did it. He did it for you. He died for you. He is not afraid of your mess. Jesus, you're worthy. 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 